Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. This is the first of our, uh, what we may or may not do again in the future, um, an episode that we're doing a throwback. So we're reviewing a book that wasn't released recently, but was released in the past. Uh, but because of the, the Halloween season and everything, uh, it merits um, our visiting an earlier time to, to read a book that to Livius was, was very, very worthwhile to go into. So um, the book is Night in the Lonesome October by Richard Lehman. And here's a little bit about the author. He wrote over 30 novels and 70 short stories. In May 2001, The Traveling Vampire Show won the Bram Stoker Award for Best Horror Novel, a prize for which Lehman had previously been shortlisted with Flesh, Funland, and A Good Secret Place, um, and A Writer's Tale in two different awards. A native of Chicago, Lehman attended Williamette University in Salem, Oregon, and took an MA in English Literature from Loyola University, Los Angeles. In 2000, he was elected president of the Horror Writers Association. He died in February 2001. Yeah, apparently it fucking killed him, which is not cool. <laughs> I read that word wrote, and I was like, does that mean he's not? And then I got to the end of the bio, and I was like, apparently he's not. Yeah, so to give you a little bit of history, I came across Lehman, um, across his work in a bookstore, The Traveling Vampire Show, in 2001, probably right around in May when it won that award. I got through it, absolutely adored it, jumped on the internet, and found out that my new favorite writer died a few months before. It's kind of tragic. Dude, it was terrible. Like, like Seriously, you're like, I just found this gold mine. This is awesome. I can't wait to like, you know, read more and find out what this guy's doing and to find out, yeah, he's not doing anything. Um Yeah, so I guess that's kind of somber and morbid. Yeah. But but um he does have, I don't know, it's really hard to decide how many books he has in print. I do believe all of them are now available in the United States. Um he was really a, a big hit um in in the UK. Um, more so than he was here, but over the course of the last you know thirteen years since he's died, they more and more of his books have been published and have made, been made available here. The one we're reviewing tonight, Night in the Lonesome October, one of my favorites of his. Probably I say my favorite, but yeah, Traveling Vampire shows really really good too. I will give you the book synopsis here for Night in the Lonesome October. Everything changed for Ed that day in the fall semester when he got a letter from Holly, the girl he loved. Dear Ed, it began, I will always cherish the times we had. Holly was in love with someone else. It was as if his whole world had changed in a second. That night, heartbroken and half mad with despair, Ed couldn't sleep, so he decided to go for a walk. But it's a dark, scary night in the lonesome October, and Ed is not alone. There are others out there in the night, roaming the streets, lurking in the darkness, waiting to show Ed just how different his world could be. Some of them are enticing, like the beautiful girl who wants to teach Ed about the wonders of the night. Some are disturbing and threatening. Some are deadly and in search of prey. Yeah. Probably not going to get Lehman on for an interview then, I'm guessing. No, but, you know, I did did earlier have this idea. Because we talked about doing something special for Halloween. Having some kind of internet seance to see if we could interview Richard Lehman. <laughs> oh, man. Who could we get to participate in an internet seance? I don't know. We'd need someone who knows how to do that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. I should, we should probably see if that's an actual thing. All right, looking up internet seance. Uh, there's not any real. There's a lot of internet. There's a lot of seances that are spoken of on the internet, but I don't think there's an internet equivalent of a seance. 
That's unfortunate. Although I, I get the feeling it would have made for a really quiet episode too. <laughs> well, wait a minute, free virtual hand holding and free online seance and Ouija board divination. I think we're onto something, Livius. This this could be a thing. Scientificpsychic.com. This could be a thing. All right, we might have to look more into that. <laughs> All right, so this book starts out much as the synopsis says. Ed is brokenhearted. Um, he decides to go for a walk and finds out that the town that he lives in is uh, far more weird and darker than he had ever thought it uh, could be. Yeah, and um, this is my first time reading anything by Richard Lehman, so this was my introduction to his style of writing, which is very... I'm trying to think of the best word. It seemed kind of ADD to me, um, but it's written in the first person, so uh, the character could just be very ADD. So uh, it, it seems like the, the there's just distraction after distraction. This kid uh, goes for a walk, but um, all this weird stuff starts happening, and... and and um, I don't know. It seems like kind of a fractured progression of events. Is that is that fair to say? Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, this is ugh, probably my fourth read through of this book. So <laughs> for me, it was it probably read a little differently. Um, yeah. I mean, so night one that he's out and about, he runs into you know some some kind of weird folks, but but they're all really. You know, I don't know. It's really kind of questionable how weird they are. Like, there's the bike hag. Who is this old woman in spandex who's wearing a backwards baseball cap um, who, who rides around and like kind of you know, intentionally scares him, like kind of rides up real close to him and then rings her shrill little bell and, you know, and says something to him. And he walks, you know, past a guy whose dog is really, you know, getting really friendly with him in, in an uncomfortable way. And he says something to the dog. The guy's like, you don't talk to my dog and like just keeps walking. So he runs, starts to run into borderline rude slash mean people, but it pretty quickly escalates into him finding um, what hopefully are the seediest characters in this town. <laughs> so yes, I guess over the course of the book, he does run into a bunch of weird people that first night. Um, it's not all weird people though. There's um, Casey who is uh, for a good chunk of the book referred to as mystery girl. We have the benefit of having read the book. So we know that eventually she becomes referred to as Casey, but she's just this girl who's out um, in the night, late at night on her own, walking through the town, seemingly unafraid of anything. And it's, uh, it's enough of a weird, um, at least to, uh, add our main character. It's weird enough that he, he gets intrigued by her. And I think he almost like, uh, does a little bit of not like stalking, but he follows her a little bit just to see if he can learn more about her. But, um, at one point she just kind of mysteriously vanishes into a house and, um, it was, it was kind of un usual the way it happened i guess so he decides to move on from casey i guess we could back up a little bit he is heading towards a donut shop um he has previously to this run into eileen who is uh the roommate of his ex-girlfriend holly who broke his heart and had mentioned this to her and he winds up making his way to the donut shop through you know running into some weird people as we had said Runs into Eileen, who very quickly um, shows a lot of interest in him, and they they basically hook up. This is night one. This is an exciting night for this guy. A lot of stuff going on this night. He goes from being brokenhearted to uh, running into the weird denizens of the night and a uh, un- an unexpected um, uh, potential love interest. Yeah, potential. Uh, definitely a love interest. So, 
so yeah, him. Yeah. This book's so hard to talk about because we can talk about like the second night and then the third night and the fourth night because this all takes place over the course of what, like a week, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, Ed is now torn and has become obsessed. So he's very interested in finding out more about this Casey girl who is um, portrayed as much younger than Ed. Um, and, you know, if she is or not, you kind of find out later through the course of the story. He's got this new girl that he's really interested in, but he's kind of is still heartbroken over Holly. So he's got like all this stuff going on. Like Eileen is really attractive and, and totally willing to sleep with him. Um, Casey is this mysterious girl he wants to learn more about. So he feels he has to go prowl the night streets again to find her. Um, and then what happens, I guess the, we can go pretty far into the second night because that really sets up the rest of the story. Um Ed makes his way back to the donut shop on night two, um, you know, trying to find the, the mystery girl again. And he runs into Randy. Now, Randy has seen them there, <laughs> saw him and Eileen there the night before, <laughs> and basically starts um, interrogating Ed about the girl he was with. And Ed, for some reason, says, no, she's not my girlfriend. No, whatever, you know. But Randy's like, oh, good, because I want to do really terrible things to her. <laughs> like that's basically what it breaks down to is that he openly admits that he wants to rape, um, you know, Ed's now new, uh, new love interest. Yeah. Randy really puts it on front street. He's not, he's not, he doesn't beat around the bush. Um, and so Ed's in this position where he knows Randy wants to do all these bad things, but, uh, he wants to protect Eileen. So he gives, randy a fake name and and then like is kind of coerced into randy's truck to drive over to go pick up eileen and he he escapes um by stabbing ed i mean by stabbing randy and um and running away and that's really what sets the action and the craziness like there was a little bit of like creepy weirdness going on up to this point but once you know he escapes randy there's a lot of like it, it seems like that almost, and I know it's not the event that did cause this, but like that really kind of uncovered all the weird, terrible things that are happening in this town. That's like from then on, the weirdness and the and the and the crazy things that are happening is 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 extremely more more big and profound. Yes. So I'm sure there are other elements of the book we'll talk about. I think that's really all we can do for the setup. Um, as far as this story goes, um, I don't know. I mean, so what are your thoughts at that point in the book? I mean, so I'm, I'm trying to see this through someone else's eyes. Um, I'm glad you asked because I was having some trouble with the book a little bit. And, um, a lot of it had to do with just the decision-making <laughs> the quality of decision-making that went on with, um, like Ed, um, really all the characters, uh, when faced with like a troublesome situation, it seemed like they didn't make the obvious choice of like seeking out help. Um, and, or, or going through proper channels to like, you know, protect themselves. It seemed like there was very much a lot of, um, a lot of the decisions they made just didn't gel with me very well. And, you know, there were some minor excuses here and there that made some sense and everything. But like, I I just kept, I found myself often thinking to myself, why the hell didn't he do this? Or why isn't this thing that just happened more important to him than it, than it would be if it happened to me, like something crazy just happened. And it seems like, Oh, you know, he's brushing it off or it's not as big of a deal as it could have been. 
Yeah, I, I, I have a theory on that, and I was going to, I don't know, I thought I could maybe talk about it a little later after, not like after kind of summed up everything, you know, but, you know, my, my thought on that is kind of along the lines of, and you touched on it, sort of, and I know I'm going to blab, I don't know, I'm having trouble putting my words together, but like you said, oh, one of the people that um, he meets that's not weird is Casey. And that's basically kind of how you said it. And I was going to stop you at that point, and I didn't, <laughs> because let's talk a little bit about Casey. Casey, um, because we find this out, she's kind of, she sneaks in and out of people's homes. Like, that's what she does. That's her thing. Like, at night, she sneaks into people's homes. And we find out that she develops relationships with some, not with others, you know, and she gets herself into these really crazy situations. And I, I think it was finally on this read-through that I realized that Ed is a town weirdo. He's as weird, well, maybe not as weird as everybody else, but he, he is. So we, we keep, as we're reading this book, we're like, man, this Ed is really experiencing all these weird things, and he's the normal guy finding out about the town. But if you think back to some of the decisions he made and some of the weird things he did, like peeking in someone's window or, uh, you know, eventually he becomes the guy who tries to go into a house that, that, that you know, that doesn't belong to him. You yeah. know, he does these things, and he winds up becoming one of the weird characters in the book. Oh, I yeah. think that explains a little bit of the weirdness that he, does that make sense? The poor decision making? Yeah, because like I said, we view him as the normal guy, the eyes through which we see this because he's the narrator, but I think he's just as weird. He does have some really weird thoughts about about things and people and, yeah, and like some disturbing said, his choices dreams. are a little odd. It's, I'm sorry? And some disturbing dreams. Yeah. You're going to nail me on the dreams. The dreams don't bother me at all in this book. Oh, man. Come on. It's because you didn't experience them. You referred to them. That You know what? That's probably. Yeah, that, that could be. Um, so a um, couple other uh, characters we should make mention of. Um, Kirkus, who is. Um, now, I don't know. You know, I don't remember when I read this, you know. 12 years ago or whatever, you know, thinking that the dialogue was a little strained, either him or Randy. So maybe the world was just a different place, but Kirkus, who is the ascot wearing, um, fake British accent, um, co-student of Ed's, um, who's very, also very weird. And, and I don't know, like he might be the creepiest guy in the whole book. <laughs> like there's a rapist, <laughs> there's some trolls under a bridge. <laughs> There's the bike hack, and Kirkus <laughs> might be the weirdest guy. I mean, I, he seems... I don't think so. He's just kind of a sexual predator. A gay sexual predator. Yeah, yeah, he... Yeah, that, 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 yeah, he, he might be. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I took him more to be harmless, but, you know, weird. Um, but yeah, there definitely is Kirkus, and he, he basically is, uh, you got a huge crush on Ed, our main character, um, and is is kind of an antagonist role. So he's a pain in the ass. He's always annoying. He talks weird. He's buttoned into people's business and everything. And and um, he ends up at different occasions becoming kind of a, a thorn in Ed's side. And as much as he knows things that Ed doesn't want other people to know about, and he has to handle Kirkus gently in order for people not to learn about what. You know, you know certain things. Right. Um, I mentioned the trolls. Um, the trolls are some of my favorite characters because they make appearances. I believe in at least two of Richard Layman's other books. 
Um, and they're like just weird, like homeless people that live under a bridge, like trolls do, which is probably where they got their name. But they're they're they will attack and and eat people with erections sometimes. Uh, the people had to to the people have erections that, that are being eaten. I guess no, the, <laughs> the trolls. <laughs> yes, the trolls have erections. Well, all right. To be fair. <laughs> So here's, and this is something we need to talk about. And, and I know, I, I have a feeling that Rob and I are going to go split on this. So at one point, Eileen and Ed um, start making out, and they're on, on campus near this bridge or whatever. And Eileen goes, no, no, let's let's go under the bridge and, and continue fooling around. you know. So they do, and it's completely dark, and they're having sex, and all of a sudden, someone pulls Eileen's hair. And it is really um, one of the uh, creepiest situations, I think, that, that I've, you know, and I don't say that I've ever read, but I mean, it, it's really a pretty powerful scene where they're under the bridge and they're being basically attacked by people they can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, you know, she's completely naked or almost naked. They rip off her shirt and, and there's, you know, some, some sexual assault that goes on. Uh, you know, and then Ed kind of comes to the rescue and scares all of them off and, and whatever. So <laughs> That's Rob's talking about them having erections. I mean, get erection because he was, you know, trying to have sex with a, a woman. I'm assuming that's where the erection came from. Not that they have perpetual erections. <laughs> they don't have murder boners, is what you're saying? No, no murder boners. God, that's great. <laughs> but what I wanted to talk about was this. So they collect themselves up. They they head back to Ed's place. Um, they run into Kirkus. They make up a story about what happened to them. Um. And I mean, by the time they get back to, to Ed's place, they're kind of like cracking funny, right? Like they're they're joking, and it, it's definitely nowhere near as traumatic a right. situation for them as you would imagine it would be for for you and a young lady to be caught under a bridge by boner murdering trolls or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would definitely kill my boner first yeah. of all. I but that's the thing I love about Layman is that his characters kind of exist in a completely different realm because this is not the only instance of characters getting out of a a harried situation like that and, and you know within a matter of moments you know kind of cracking wise about it and that's that's the thing that's um I guess the thing that I realized early on was that there was a big suspension of disbelief thing going on like you had to just be able to accept that one minute you could be having sex under a dark bridge and be attacked by people and narrowly escape with your life and the next minute you could be at home uh making out and like you know goofing around <laughs> yeah yeah and that's yeah and so it comes down i was gonna talk about this a little bit in my wrap-up and, and you and i had this conversation recently um there is a difference between, I don't know, when you break it down, what you would consider a great book and a very a book that's great because it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. And, and I definitely think that Layman brings entertainment versus, I, I don't know, whatever you'd call it, serious greatness. I don't know. I mean, there's movies that are like that, too. You know, like I, I love the Flash Gordon movie. Is it a great movie? I tell people it's a great movie. But when I sit back and think about it, it's not a great movie. It's a very, very entertaining movie. Sure. But, you know, the, the plot is uh, is weak at best. The, the dialogue is meh. You know what I mean? But there's something about that movie that I absolutely adore and I love, kind of like I feel about this book. Yeah. And, and, I mean, 
yeah, when I say these things, it's not that it, they're criticisms against the book because I like the book overall. It was just it was it was a different uh, take. That was a, it was a, it was something that I had to get used to for sure. Um, but that being said, you know the the trolls under the bridge were really creepy. Even the bike hag, um, who's just this old lady who rides around on a bike. And it's and it's kind of discovered as you go on that like she's not just someone that Ed has run into, but other people as well. Um, pretty creepy, and then the situations overall pretty creepy. But I want to say this: a lot of boobs in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've often um, <sighs> this is not the only book, and we talked about this a little bit at the end of the last episode. This is not the only book where there's always you know a reason for a woman to be naked or mostly naked yeah <sighs> you don't have to be you don't have to be a layman apologist oh <laughs> uh, i don't know well you know here's the whole thing i read it the book and it's totally fine in layman's world this is just i don't know it's acceptable there's a lot of nudity in this book. There are a lot of weird... There's, so there's quite a bit of sex. There's a lot of kind of weird sexual situations that occur, too. As we mentioned, there's the kind of troll, almost, you know, attempted rape and and stuff. And yeah, Ed does have reason to have hard-ons throughout the course of the book, <laughs> <laughs> periodically. But I've always kind of wondered about Layman. And, and I, I think he writes those so... Let's go back to the the very um, the, the the first time that Eileen and Ed were alone at his apartment. So she's driven him home. She's basically bullied her way into his apartment uh, to use the washroom. And there's the whole part where she comes out of the washroom and she's uh, Ed. And we're seeing this from Ed's point of view. And he's like, yeah, I can tell she took off her bra. Like this means something. But like the kind of I can almost feel the like youth giddy that he's able to put into these characters who get thrown into these um, these situations. And not that Ed is sexually inexperienced, but he's definitely not, you know, really good with the ladies. You know what I mean? So his kind of clumsy thought process through that. Like, I think, I think Layman does it well enough that you, you, you can really feel it inside. You know what I mean? You can feel mm -hmm. what the main character's feeling sans weird boner or whatever. But <laughs> I think that in a lot of those situations, he manages to deliver. I think Layman's a little bit, or Layman was a little bit of a pervert, but I think that he did a very good job bringing those parts to life. Here's what I'll say. Pervert or not, I think that he just, my impression was, dude just doesn't shy away from some of the regular shit that happens to people. Like, I can't tell you how many times in my daily life, uh, I, um, I'm like standing with, like with or near people and I'm like, there's definitely a boob rubbing up against my elbow or something like that, you know, like, and those are the things that like I have, a, I have in my mind, I think. I don't think that this person realizes it, but like I can totally feel their boob rubbing up against my elbow, and I'm having these thoughts in my mind, and those are the type of things that get written about. I think more frequently in these or this book than it, it, than in the typical book you would read. So I'm not saying it's out of the ordinary or um, necessarily pervish, because it's actually a lot of the situations are very true to life. Like uh, there's one scene where. I mean, this is a little bit beyond what, you know, I've ever experienced in my life, but I can see myself in a situation um, for whatever reason. Uh, so the thing I don't see myself doing is creeping up on someone's house and peeking into their windows. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's 
kind of yeah. <laughs> but I could see myself in a situation where I realize that there's someone that I can see in plain sight, um, like through a wind, you know, like a neighbor's window or, you know, whatever it happens to be, um, where they're, they're, you know, like kind of half naked. And, and the way that he portrayed that in the book was, was realistic, I guess, to me. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. I, the, to jump to another one of his books, the the Traveling Vampire Show. If I remember correctly, the protagonist is um, fourteen, and I said a little different than Ed because he has he's a fourteen year old kid. He's completely sexually inexperienced. But there are things like I don't remember specifically what it was, but like him going to a friend's house and like the older sister of the mom is wearing kind of a low cut shirt and like him totally checking out. But I mean, it put me in that like I remember what it was like to be twelve or thirteen or fourteen to see something like that and be like really excited about it. And I think that he does a good job with with some of that. So even though there is a lot of it, he does it well. Male curiosity. Yeah. Um Yeah. So lots of boobs, but I think he does it right. Yes. I mean, like when it comes down to it, you know, uh, at least the dudes were all pretty much just horny dudes all the time and we can identify with the stuff that, well, not all this stuff. There's some really weird <laughs> boobs stuff that say, happens. I was going to list off some things that happened after you said you could identify, but <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, you know, the, the final kind of, uh, confrontation scene toward the end, which I'm not going to say what happens. Definitely can't identify with anything that happened in that. Uh, <laughs> that end scene though. So let's, let's just you and I, again, this, we're not going to spoil this for anybody. That was pretty crazy, chaotic shit, right? That was amazing. Right, <laughs> like that's what I'm saying, and and he's done that in a couple of books where I, you know, ah, gotta go back to traveling vampire show. You know, it's the book trucks along, and there's a little bit of weirdness and a little bit of weirdness. Not, but you get to that final scene, and it is fucking batshit crazy weirdness that's happening, and it's just yeah. done really, really well. So, super entertaining. Yeah. Who is uh, who is the most interesting character in this book? I see that's difficult because like Casey seemed that he he writes he wrote her very intriguing where like you just want to know more about her you know so like yeah. she was kind of a mystery she seemed like she had definitely like a an air of of the unknown about her and um you just want to know more about her I'd like to read more of the Casey story for sure yeah, that's that's exactly it. Casey is the, the the character I think that really drives some of the best parts of this book, um, and definitely a character that uh, should be expanded upon. I think. Yeah, let's do that. Let's pick it up. Let's see if we can get the rights to Casey and start you writing. Know, it. He wrote a book, and I was searching for. This, and you have to understand, most of the stuff I read twelve, fourteen years ago, and I've, I've read a lot of books in between that time too. So it's not like this is the one book I read forever ago, and you know I remember it really clearly. He wrote a book that had a character that did something very similar, but I was unable to, using my Google Foo, find out exactly what book that was. Because I was going to mention that to the to the listeners. No big surprise. Your Google flew. Your Google Foo. Google flew. I don't know what that is, but the Google Foo is not that great. But yeah. All right. One more thing before we go on to quotes. Um, let's talk about this as a horror book. Um, did you think this was horror? I mean, did this fit your I was thinking about that because I knew this was going to come up. Um, I definitely think it has horrific elements, but um, yes, I'm going to go ahead and say that it was horror enough to be horror, but it felt very weird and, you know, 
genre, no genre, like genre free, just kind of like straight up fiction, but with like a horror t- flavor to it. Yeah, I um, yeah, I thriller comes to mind, except for the others. The you know there are a couple of elements of horror, but it um, I don't know. I don't think I've ever really thought about it as a horror book or not. I mean, I know that's where it'd be shelved in the in the bookstore. So I don't yeah. know. It's kind of weird. It just doesn't hit me as horror, I guess. <laughs> and I think that a lot of that goes to threshold too. We have probably a high threshold for creepy, scary things. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not as much the gross things, but maybe. Um, so for us, I'd say this is a very tame. There's probably like a, a horror scale, and I'd put this like on the horror scale, but somewhere on the lower end, like in under five out of ten. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that <laughs> I was reading some Amazon reviews earlier. <laughs> some people are like, "The book is way too rapey for me." Like that was just <laughs> that was a number of the of the reviews. So. If I had to put it on a rape scale, it's definitely over five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it is a little rapey. <laughs> yeah, let's do some quotes, and then I think there might be a couple of uh, a couple of uh, Amazon reviews we may read on this. Ooh, nice! All right, uh, I do have some quotes. Would you like? Me I will to? let you go first. This is just um, well. I there's always. I feel like there's always in every book I read something that I just identify with personally. That's not necessarily something that's of like great literary merit, but I'm just like, yeah, I totally feel that. So this first one, right at the beginning of the book, I'd known three or four J's, and every last one of them was an asshole. I love that. That was my first one, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. All right. Um, yeah, I think that um, God, I, I actually remember reading that the first time I read it years ago and thinking, like, yeah, I don't know about J's, but, yeah, I know some names. That yep. are, you know. <laughs> uh, which is weird because there actually is. There's that whole... Um, Freakonomics thing about like how successful you can be based on the name you're given. Yeah. So there might be something to that. Jays of the world. I really like this line. It's just it's real simple. I can be full of cliches when I've got nothing to say. And I, I find myself doing that in conversations with people where I'm totally not interested. Yeah. Well, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, <laughs> um. Off the top of my head, uh, here's one. So uh, we may not have mentioned it, but Ed and Eileen were are in college. So they they live in a college town. They're attending school. Ed, I think, is a literature major. So there's actually quite a few references to different um, uh, classic books and poetry, poetry and stuff like that. And at one point during the book, Ed's hiding from someone, and he's uh, like on an outside porch. Next to a, a, a like a like a swing, like a porch swing, which he believes is empty, but at some point it's revealed that like someone's been sitting on it, which freaks the shit out of him. And um, later on, he's kind of thinking about it in his mind, and he he equates it to he he wants to call it uh, a story. He could write a story about it and call it "Old Man on the, on the Swing." And then the quote is: "He was an old man who sat alone on a swing on his front porch." And he had gone 84 days without scaring the shit out of someone. <laughs> so, that was kind of funny. 
Amazing, though, how being alone in a strange place at 3 o'clock in the morning shaves the years off. I felt like a little kid again, a kid in bed late at night, wide awake, gazing at the partly open door of his closet, waiting for a horror to spring out and come for him. It's good. I mean, you did that when you were a kid, right? Yeah. Oh, there God. Are times, there are times where as an adult I've done that, but it's like reading that line puts me in that little, it's like we were talking earlier about boobs. You know, it's kind of the same thing. Like reading that, I know exactly what he means. I can feel, you know, what's going through him. Yeah, definitely. All right. Hey, I've got a reference to something else. Okay. Did you catch the long pork reference? No. I, I know exactly the line you're talking about, but I don't know what it, it refers to. Um, long pork or in Hannibal, they refer to it as long pig, I believe. It's a reference to cannibalism. So uh, there's oh. a quote. Uh, Kirkus is talking about uh, uh, having Ed over uh, to his house for a meal. And Kirkus says, I'll prepare my specialty. What's that, Ed said. Pork roast. Not long pork, I hope. Ed frowned. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Kirkus frowned. Long pork? And then it kind of just gets dropped after that. But it's it's a... It's a reference to cannibalism, long long pork or, or long pig. I actually thought that he was referring to Kirkus's junk. <laughs> you could see I'm, why. Right, right, and I'm sure that was what the, the misunderstanding was then too, but uh, um, I thought it was a very clever and subtle reference to other things that happened in the book. It isn't the town, I told myself. It's the hour. At this hour, probably every place is full of crazy people. All the same citizens are either at night jobs or asleep in their beds. The loonies rule the town. Let's say that um, this book and Neverwhere by um, Neil Gaiman both had an effect on me after I read them that still lasts years. And it's the how unaware we are of what's going on around us. So to explain it with this book... Um, there are times now where I'm out late at night, you know, just past that hour. And I live in the suburbs, so there aren't a lot of people walking around. Where Rob lives, you know, four in the morning, there's probably ten people, you know, on, on the two-block length of his street at any given time. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm, I'm driving, because I don't walk anywhere, I uh, and I see someone out late at night, I think about this book. Not really give it a whole lot of thought, but I start to wonder, like, what's that person up to? Why are they out at 1.30 in the morning walking down the street? And it's not something I ever really thought about because we're normally pretty self-absorbed. We're only ever concerned with what we're doing at 1.30 in the morning driving down the street. Mm-hmm. But this book and, and that particular you know passage, I mean, it's the whole book, but that passage sums it up as some uh, the way that it's, it's made me wonder about people and, and kind of even create stories in my head based on, you know, slightly weird. I've never seen anything really bizarre, you know, but fuck, I think if I ever saw an old lady riding a bike down the street in the middle of the night, I'd probably shit myself. <laughs> I had a guy, I was, um, this was when I was, it was like probably 10, 15 years ago. I was out like late at night walking around uh, downtown Chicago and uh, the guy right, right in, we walked past the guy in front of uh, the Sears Tower and he said, uh, you kids watch out for werewolves. And uh, then he crossed the street and started howling. <laughs> I was like, that's all a, right, that's good a character advice. out of this goddamn book, right? <laughs> that would have fit perfectly in mid book. Yeah. That's what I think of. Uh, I don't have a, a quote for this next thing I want to talk about, but I just did want to bring it up because this book may be 
where um, where some uh, something that's come up on the podcast before came from Livius. Okay. Um, Eileen at one point, uh, a little bit inebriated, became began <laughs> began defending um, pretty pretty enthusiastically defending Ayn Rand and the Fountainhead or no um, uh, Atlas Shrugged. Yes, she did. Um, <laughs> not where it came from because I, I believe I do believe that I, I read Atlas Shrugged prior to this and did had to defend her previous to this, but it definitely endeared me to the Eileen character. <laughs> Dude, I don't I, I still don't get that. I just saw so there I mean I just read this, obviously, you know, whenever two, three days ago, but I just saw another thing online where people are like, uh, or no, it was in a movie or a TV show or something. At any rate, they're like defend all she does is defend selfishness. And I was like, oh, these you know, if you read the book, it's just people wanting to be rewarded for their own work like i got oh it was um it was a spot on what's the new guy that does it he does that thing like the daily show last week tonight or something do you know oh, what I'm talking about? the john oliver one or yes that guy yeah 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 he has some youtube ones i wound up watching one of his tv ones but his youtube channel just cycles through him so i left it on in the background for like two hours while i was playing a video game <laughs> so i got to hear some of these but yeah at one point he kind of goes a little batty on on uh on rand i still don't get it Anyway. Uh, what can you do? But anyway, so that was I, I thought of you immediately when I when I read that. And actually, I have another one, also not a quote, but something I wanted to bring up. Anytime there's a book with the character Eileen, eventually I expected this to happen, and it did happen in this book. Someone said, "Come on, Eileen." I totally did not catch that. <laughs> um. This part is, uh, and he does this two or three times um, in the book, twice, I believe. I know for sure it's twice. But he uh, he's talking about, uh, Casey is talking about she went into the house, she had to use the washroom, something about using the washroom. At any rate, this is Ed in his own head saying, maybe it's chapter 12 in the girl's guide to male manipulation. As the male animal is naturally both embarrassed and aroused and embarrassed by his arousal when confronted with the elimination processes of the female... The bathroom gambit is a surefire winner. <laughs> it's, it's just great. <laughs> I, by the way, am only ever embarrassed about female elimination. Yeah, what's is is? Are you supposed to be turned on when someone when a girl's peeing? Is that what you saying? Well, that's I said. Layman, Layman had some issues. <laughs> I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, in as much maybe as it makes you think about their girl parts, but. Yeah, I don't know, but there, you know what? I'm I, I I I'm sure that there is a whole host of websites dedicated to nothing, but as he refers to it, the female elimination process. Yeah, yeah. I'm I believe sure. they're all German. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> um, it turns out that the last quote that I thought I had is actually super spoilery, so I'm just going to read it to Livius, but not. Uh, it's not going to make it on the podcast. <laughs> Such good stuff. Like, I, I seriously, in the book's old enough, I almost just want to be like, let's just talk about that last scene. <laughs> so. It's true. I mean, it has been out for, what, 12 years now? Yeah. Hey, um, this isn't so much a quote as a, holy crap, I, I was really, I had to look up Cater Corner because I thought I'd been saying it wrong for 40-ish years. <laughs> what now, huh? Cater Corner. Oh, I don't know like, if I noticed this before, or maybe because it's my first time reading this on a on a e device. Where maybe if I was just flipping through the paperback, I wouldn't have gone through the trouble of trying to research it. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, Cater Corner is the actual original way to say Kitty Corner, which is also cited um, in the, the dictionary entry for it on uh, on the Kindle. But I looked at it, and I was like, I know exactly what he means. I was like, this can't be the way you say it. It can't be. This has to be some kind of weird typo. <laughs> what? So, uh, what's the origin of that? What's the etymology? So here we go. Um, Kate Cornered. Um, also, cater corner or caddy cornered or kitty corner. Adjective and um, adjective. Damn it, I can't say that word. <laughs> adjective and adverb. Situated diagonally opposite someone or something. And then it gives you some examples. Origin, mid 19th century from dialect. Cater diagonally from cater denoting the four on dice from French quatre, four from Latin quatuor. Quat, quat, Huh. Okay. Yeah, which is interesting because um, I don't know why it's the four on dice specifically, Nick. but um, opposite sides of a die, you know, all add up to seven. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, the four and the three are completely opposite the one, the six, the two, and the five. I'll be damned. It's Nick, guys. That's a dice that, term. That requires two dice. I know. All right, damn it. No dice. <laughs> Do you know what no dice actually means? Where that comes from? I have no idea. I, I have the feeling that I'm about to find out, though. If um, if you're play, it's from craps. And if you're um, if you're throwing the dice and one of the die goes off the table, basically it means it's not a turn. So either one of your die doesn't hit the opposite back wall mm-hmm. where you're throwing the dice to, or if one bounces off the table, no dice means this this turn doesn't count. Oh man! All right. Have you ever? I've never played craps. I, I have played more craps than. I should have. Then you care to admit. <laughs> yeah. So I'd do better admitting if I was a better craps player. <laughs> All right. Back to the quotes. No dice. All right. Yeah. That's a nice thing about night roaming. You're mostly on your own and don't have to deal with people. You can watch them. You can hide from them. You can even get to know them pretty well if you want, but they never have to know you. Hmm. That's good. Can we talk about how much hiding happens in this book? Ride or hide. There's a lot of hide like it seems like almost every chapter there's someone hiding from someone. And like for extensive amounts of time if I was hiding from someone that was driving by, I wouldn't sit in the same place for like 10 minutes. Yeah, I um I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I you said, you know, some of the weird decisions he makes and yes, yeah, some of them like going up someone's house to look in the window is probably something that that we've had beaten out of us enough that we wouldn't do. <laughs> No man, when you're really scared, I don't know. I, I know that we we can, you know, kind of Monday morning quarterback what we would have done. Yeah, you know, right, armchair quarterback, whatever. But yeah, it's kind of I don't know. I think the ride or hide concept is pretty cool too. I have one more, and this is a uh, mock up of the opening uh, to the Twilight Zone. Offered for your consideration, one Edward Logan. Should I try to do this in more of a Rod Serling voice? Yes. <laughs> I think I can just <laughs> offered for your. I can't do it. Offered for your consideration, one Edward Logan. He went out on a fine October night in search of his true love, but found instead that streets don't always lead where you expect, and that love may not always find a way, especially in the region of uncertain boundaries we call. Done. The end of quotes. And the end of quotes. So, uh, Rob, I am really excited to hear your wrap-up on this. This is a throwback. 
It was the first of our kind, and it needed to be something special. And Livia spoke really highly of this book, so um, as we've uh, we've definitely come to learn over the uh, the the course of the podcast, Livia says, "Let's read this," and I just say, "Okay." And this was, um, you know, because I trust his opinion. Some of the best books I've ever read were recommended uh, by Livia, so. I jumped in, totally trusting his choice, and I don't think I was disappointed. Um, I had some kind of things I had to get over, um, not really understanding why some of the decisions were made by certain people uh, was definitely the biggest part of it, but um, I, I almost had some criticisms about the writing, too, because it seemed simple at times, but realizing after the fact and definitely after talking about it that it's just the main character is a weird person um so that being said there's some really really intelligent parts of the book there's definitely some creepy and scary parts of the book and there's a lots of you know boobs and boners so uh (laughs) um putting it pretty low on the horror scale i'd probably drop it at like three or four out of ten so there's not a lot of scary stuff going on um but the stuff that does show up can get a little bit gruesome and weird. Uh, overall, really like the Casey character, the mystery girl. Um, I really wish that I had this many girls in my life that were just like constantly trying to have sex with me. Um, but you know, you cut uh, towards the end that there was the implication that there might be another one too. Right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, she's going to have sex with him. Obviously. I, even the bike hag might have been a little bit enamored by him. I'm not sure. But uh, um, overall, I dug the story. Like, It's one of those things where if you try to look at it from a literary perspective, it's not going to hold up too well. But if you just try and enjoy, enjoy the story and um, you know live in the weirdness of it, it's really rewarding, especially um, <laughs> at the very end. The, the final scene is just... Well, not the final scene, but the final confrontation, the denouement. Or is it the falling action? What happens? The 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 shit. I don't know my story terms. Where it culminates, the final thing. But anyway, I'm gonna get shit online for this later. Uh, it, it's a big payoff, and you saw it coming a little bit because there's some fucked up things that happen earlier in the book that make you think, "Wow, man, they're willing to go there." And then you know, so we get to this final thing, and they really went there, um, and. Overall, it's a good story. A uh, little bit weird, a um, little bit rapey, lots of boobs, but um, definitely a really good story. So I'm going to go four stars. I am very pleased. I'd like to say that because I thought you would go considerably lower on this book. I actually thought that the ending scene, you'd be like, man, I was pretty much with this book <laughs> till the end and then fuck this book. <laughs> You probably don't even need to do a wrap up. We already know. Yeah, I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do a brief one. Look, I have read the majority of the full length Laban catalog, um, and I'm piecemealing out the, the the couple that I haven't read. Probably, I'm gonna probably go one a year. This is the second one I read this year, but this I've read three or four times now. Um, Layman's stories are mostly um, quirky. One of the things I like about him is that there's not a lot of supernatural elements in his books. Um, specifically in this one, there is zero supernatural element. Everybody is a regular person, uh, really twisted. This came up during the Shane McKenzie um, interview about when you have 
all the 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 weird bad people meet up what happens so in this one i mean casey is very obviously you know the 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 white the, the white light in the story even though she is as weird as or more weird in some cases i think than some of the other characters but it's when you bring all the crazy together a lot of writers um you know have the one crazy element um, and then it's crazy element versus really normal person. Um, Layman, in many cases, including this book, has brought numerous crazy elements together to to give us what I think is a really fun and thrilling ride. Um, I, I, at this point, I don't think I don't think I could read a Richard Layman story. The amount of love that I've garnered for this author without giving it five stars, even if it was terrible. So there you go. Call that uh, call it what you will. But yeah, Night in the Lonesome October, absolutely five stars. Oh, there it is. Here is a uh, here is uh, here's a Amazon review that <laughs> kind of mentions what Rob and I were just talking about. Um, go out late at night, only when the weirdos are out. All the women in your life are sexually aggressive and can't get enough of you. Let's do it under the bridge where the cannibals live. Your biggest fear is homosexual rape. Too wordy, too far out to make you afraid. That was John Bowe's two star review on uh, on Amazon. That was written twelve years ago. That sounds pretty complimentary for a two-star review. Yeah. <laughs> I think that he was kind of, I don't know. Made me feel dirty and creepy reading it, which it did make me feel kind of dirty and creepy reading it. I think that's a good thing sometimes. Um, very teenage porno fantasy, lots of sexual obsessions, and girls being objectified. I think this author may have issues. <laughs> that was Angela Buck, the title, Very Uncomfortable, another two-star review. <laughs> love it oh it is a little bit rapey all right so let's talk about that a little bit (laughs) that's been not necessarily a theme on the podcast recently but um it's come up Mm -hmm. right yeah um we actually had a post on the booked podcast listening group by a person by the name of elip sis i'm guessing this is some sort of pseudonym (laughs) <laughs> yes, that or some really fortunate naming. Or, yeah, really coincidental. So uh, um, here's what it says. Uh, the post says, Extreme horror may or may not perpetuate rape culture. It is debatable, but offhand hilarious rape jokes. You see, one is a far more pervasive form of culture than the other. So Rob is the rape apologist. What do you think of that? I... um. Yeah, my comment on that was that I tried really, really hard not to be the rape apologist on this episode. I meant that. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think you're a rape apologist. I really don't think I'm a rape apologist either. But no. you, let's see. <laughs> you and I had a conversation um, just on the phone. Uh, I, I don't know since that episode or something where we talked, and, and you. It was some situation. That I wasn't. I just wasn't in the, the mood to have the discussion. But you had said something. <laughs> I was like, my head. I was like. I don't understand what he's talking about, how that's kind of rapey. And I just let it go. So I think I might be the one who's a little bit more. Well, more instead of coming to my, sensitive. my, instead of coming to my defense, Livius, you said, you have no idea how hard I had to try not to get that moniker added to my list. So really looking out for yourself. Dude, I'm becoming the Mel Gibson of this fucking podcast. I have to start <laughs> looking out for myself. I don't know. But anyway, a little bit rapey. I don't think I'm a rape apologist at all. I, I did. I, <laughs> I think that like I'm a pretty staunch feminist. You are. You are, and, and not even so much as you used to be. I think you you've kind of um, mellowed a little bit. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm not in your face with my feminism, but it's there. I just want to go on the record as saying nobody at the Booked Podcast in any way advocates rape. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think that's that's horrible and terrible. I'm my concern is with what we label rape anymore. Yeah. So, do you? Uh, so, wait. What year did this book come out? Um, two thousand and two. But I think that publication date is a U.S. publication date. Yeah. Um, some of it's a little tricky because a lot of things have come over. Um, like there, there's a book that came out at like 2007 that I know I read before that because I was ordering the UK version. And it's weird with Amazon because they list the publication date here, the the version they sell here. But 2002 sounds about right for some of the references that they made. I mean, I'm assuming he wrote it in 2000. Like they mentioned that um, that Walker Texas Ranger. Yeah, um, cell phone. Someone does have a cell phone. Not not anybody important in the story <laughs> that could use one at any given point. But towards the end, someone does make a call from a cell phone. Um, so just, that sounds about right. I think. I was trying to think of anything that significant happened in 2002. Since this is a throwback, I'm on Wikipedia for the Wikipedia entry for 2002. Do you want to hear some stuff? Yes, yes. Did we work together in 2002? No, this is before we worked together. I'm pretty sure I was still working at uh, the, the rent-to-own place. Yeah, right. we did not know each other at that time. However, the trial of Slobodan Milosevic uh, was taking place. Um, the Yugoslavian mm-hmm. like, oh, war criminal. Yep. That I actually know. Uh, all former currencies of European Union countries became no longer valid. The Euro really been around that long? Apparently. Uh, the Beltway sniper attacks begin with five shootings in Montgomery County, Maryland. Pretty crazy, right? That is a little crazy. I do vaguely remember that. Man, really, Wikipedia brings on the, the kind of somber stuff. Your birthday, as required by the recently passed UN resolution, Iraq files a 12,000-page weapons declaration with the UN Security Council that happened on your B-Day. How do you feel about that? I, um, I, I, I don't even understand what it was. But. <laughs> this, this seems just made up. I think someone like, you know how anybody can change a Wikipedia yep. article? Mm-hmm. December 30th, an eruption on the volcanic island Stromboli off the coast of Sicily causes a flank failure and tsunami. The island is later evacuated. There's an island called Stromboli in Sicily. <laughs> there could be. But right? there was a food. I, 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 if only there was a way to find out. Anyway. Um, yeah. I, so the reason, you know, we talk about throwback episode and, and I don't know. I don't know what it could be in the future. Because I see this. And I, see, I even see writers. I was, um, oh, God, who was it? Lansdale or somebody recently was like, oh, check out this great review of my book. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of familiar. I look at it. It was like published like eight years ago. Like, it's cool. But reviewers. Listen, I, I go back and I read older stuff. You want to throw a review up on Goodreads, that's awesome. But when that's your forum, like on your blog, like I'm going to review this book from 15 years ago, I don't know. I mean, I feel kind of weird doing it. Yeah, I'm with you. So, um, might be nice for somebody who read this book a long time ago and wants to hear someone else discuss it. I think a lot of the times when we do book reviews, we do them and, and we usually do them you know, with a week, two weeks tops of it coming out. And this isn't like a TV show where by two weeks everybody's seen it. So it's still kind of, yeah. um, 
can give people pointers on if they want to read it or not, which I guess is the point of our show. But I mean, we get very book discussion y too. So I would think I'd say this goodbye, listeners. Um, I would be more likely to listen to a podcast where they talk about something I read. <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> goodbye, listeners. He's killing me. They just figured out, yeah, why the fuck are we listening to this? They listen for this. They listen to find out that in 2002, Dave Thomas of Wendy's fame died. So did oh, Dudley God, that Moore. That was such a sad, sad day. I know. Dudley Moore from Arthur. That's when he died, too. Yeah. Lane Staley from Alice in Chains. Somebody posted something about Robert Redford the other day. It was an article. Yeah. And, you know, it shows you the preview part of the article, and it said Robert Redford passed away. And I think this person was posting it, that they knew he passed away, but it was something about the article. Mm-hmm. And I immediately sent a text message saying, Robert Redford died. And I went, I should verify this online. And I couldn't find anything in Google results because it's not news. You know, because I always hit yeah. the news one because that gives you, like, the very recent stuff. Mm-hmm. found out he died, like, eight years ago. Wait, Robert Redford? Yeah, Robert Redford's dead. No, he's, he's not. He was just in that fucking... Uh... Uh, was it Robert? Oh, no, no. You know what? I, I probably just killed a bunch of listeners. It was Paul Newman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Robert Redford. I mean, like, they're both, like, crusty-looking old dudes, I guess. Paul Newman, the guy who owns the company that makes the salad, salad dressing. dressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Redford, man. Robert Redford is right now having his publicist, right? Like, I'm not dead. I don't know what those guys are talking about. Someone heard it on the podcast and they hit pause and they just go right to Facebook. (sighs) Yep. Yes. Robert Redford. Sorry, buddy. (laughs) All right. Anything else we have to cover this week? Um, Yeah, actually. So our previous episode was the Supernatural Enhancements. Um, which when you, you kept saying supernatural elements when you're talking about the layman books and I kept thinking about this book. <laughs> um, and actually after the, after the episode went live, we got a tweet from the author, Edgar Quintero. And he said, you know, thanks for, you know, the really nice review and everything. And Livius brought it to my attention and I said, Hey, we should ask him to come on for an interview. Well, we, uh, we asked him to come on for an interview and he said he would love to. However, English is like the dude's third language or whatever, and he doesn't, um, you know, feel super comfortable in the spoken realm, so we're not going to be able to talk to him on the podcast, but um, he did enjoy our review, and we may try and work something without with him in a written form if we can find somewhere to put it. But um, I, I have a place we can put it, I think. But what about this? What if we do it written, and then I have somebody with a really heavy Spanish accent read his parts of the oh that's a great idea it's a great idea because we're also racist at this podcast and i think that kind of shit is funny <laughs> yeah so let's do that i have a i have a mexican coworker um, who um who spent many i honestly i don't even know if she's if she's born here or not but like the other day i got the the you know have you ever seen the mexican word of the day memes what no Oh, there's a there's a, a meme that's a it's a guy in a sombrero and it'll say Mexican word of the day and I'm I'm doing this from memory because I don't even remember where I saw it specifically but it said um, Mexican word of the day Ebola and then it has the phrase as a Mexican person would say it uh, assumingly the guy in the sombrero and it said uh, my friend went bowling any Ebola perfect score oh god <laughs> so 
that's me at work. Like I see this, I have to stop what I'm doing and go stop this young lady from what she's doing. I'm like, you got to see this. So apologies to Edgar Quintero. <sighs> he's not Mexican. He's Wasn't not Mexican. He's Mexican. He speaks Spanish though. He does. Ebola perfect storm. We need- <laughs> no dice. No dice. I figure if I say enough offensive things, he'll come on the podcast just to tell me off. Just and that would be fucking, totally worth yeah. it. So we can ask that guy. I have some questions for him regarding his book, actually. I was thinking that uh, we know somebody that has a blog where she sends out questions to authors. And hey, maybe that's a good We point. can do some kind of weird um, three-way thing with Cantero, Curiouser, and Curiouser, and Booked. Here's what we should do. We should have... Cantero on with the two of us and an interpreter. Like a live translation. We could. Man, we have grand, grand. Yeah, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, are you guys going to do something with this podcast, monetize it? And I go, hey, you know, we talk about it. We got ideas for things we talk about. You guys going to do YouTube? And we talk about it. You know, because talking is a lot easier than actually doing. And we're just way too lazy for that shit. I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, we are too lazy to find an interpreter. (laughs) Right. So, in a perfect world, Mm -hmm. yeah, we would have the live translated Edgar Cantero uh, uh, interview, which would be like three hours long. Dude, if we actually, listen, if we actually made money doing this, we would have an internet seance. Like, if if this was our gig, I want you to think about this. If this is what we did for a living. Yeah. We would have an internet seance. We yeah. would have a translator for Edgar Cantero because this is all we'd have to do. Yeah, you're damn right. But since we have day jobs and stuff like that, we got to just do what we, you know, what we comfortably can get through, right? Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, that's the whole thing. We don't even have day jobs. We have like day and evening jobs, and sometimes overnight jobs. And yeah, that's true, guys. It's tough being a podcaster. That's all I'm going to say. It's not easy with the amount of content that we put out. <laughs> Speaking of, what do we what do we have looking forward to? It's almost the end of October. We've uh, what did we do? We did a ghost story, right? We did a kind of ghost story. We did an extreme horror story. Uh-huh. We did a kind of rapey story. <laughs> rape, um, rape. It's, let's not call it a rapey story. Let's just call it like, like a I don't know what would you call it mainstream horror. Yes, I would say it's probably mainstream horror. Yeah. Um, uh, what are we going to do next? We're working on something. Might be a little bit like our exo- zombie extravaganza spectacular. We're not quite sure yet. We have some ideas. Um, the top of the episode, I was totally sure we were going to have a seance next week, but that's not going <laughs> to happen. Although we might try to work that in too. Who knows? Yeah, we could try with the seance, but... I just don't want to have to edit out like 45 minutes of like us talking about, you know, trying to talk to a ghost of an author. <laughs> it seems just a lot of work for me. I, um, it's like, Hey, we could just have Jack Ketchum on. And I was like, but then he'd just be like, can you guys stop just fucking asking me about Richard Lehman? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all I wanted. Jack, tell me this. Tell me that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll come up with something fun. It will not be a book review. I'm pretty, pretty confident in that. All right, good. I'm tired of doing book reviews. We do have on the horizon, though, The Last Projector from David James Keaton, which will likely be our first episode in November. Um, I hear that we may be getting a chapbook from This Is Horror because they're still doing chapbooks. I thought they they ended that. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I have it on good authority that there's one that can uh, that can come our way sooner rather than later. Well, that's exciting. Um, and then uh, in December, we already have a, uh, a submission that we're looking at. I don't want to say too much about it. Have you ever seen Raising Arizona? Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you like Raising Arizona? Yeah, dude. Uh, I've never seen it. Of course. Well, I didn't expect you did. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be reviewing Raising Arizona, the novelization. <laughs> By Krista Faust. By Krista Faust. Uh, <laughs> speaking of um, people giving us books, though. Did I tell you I got a, a nice a special package in the mail? You did. It's very uh, weird, but you did, yes. <laughs> Podcast friend Jesse Lawrence, um, at one point, uh, he was visiting Chicago, and he saw that my bookshelf was conspicuously low on Stephen Graham Jones' books, so he sent me, I don't know, he must just have extra copies laying around or something, like 14 Jones books. And... uh is awesome. It was unexpected, and it was just kind of like a really cool thing to do, and I was very happy with it. Well, he just sent me more. He just sent me like four more. It's crazy. That is very. Um, that's that is a little crazy, but it is very very cool. I think one of the reasons you don't have a lot of them is because um, for us, so much of this is digital. Yeah, and I guess you yeah. did meet him, but you did get some books when you were when you were in um, Seattle. I did. I brought you home a book. Yes, I you did. You a gift. I appreciate it. Well, no, but I'm saying that, you know, you'd probably have, you know, I don't know. Everything we get's digital. So the only time I ever run out and buy a copy of anything is if I'm at an event where the author's going to sign that I have no, you know what I mean? That's everything else I buy is yeah. book. Oh, yeah, I've got tons of digital books. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to thank Jesse for the, the free readage. It was very nice. If uh, anybody ever sabotages this podcast to the point where it doesn't exist anymore, I will definitely have a shelf full of stuff to go through and. Jones will be very high on my list of things to read. Yeah, rightfully so, because everything we read from that guy has been pretty goddamn good. Oh, and I'm going on a road trip. You are. Let's talk about that. What are your plans for your road trip? Well, I was deciding there wasn't enough Ebola in my life um, recently, so I, I, I thought to myself, where's the best, where's the closest Ebola to, to me? Because I want to get it, but I'm lazy. <laughs> um. So Dallas, Texas, uh, happens to have some Ebola laying around and also, uh, Misty Bennett, friend of the podcast, who is a, a good friend of mine. And, um, I decided I'm going to roll down there and then and, and visit, possibly pick up some Ebola on the way. I'm sure she's thrilled to be lumped <laughs> in the category with Ebola. Uh, well, she's definitely the, <laughs> the primary reason I'm visiting Dallas. Ebola is just kind of secondary, tertiary, something like that, but um, and all seriously, no, I'm going to be going to um, uh, to Dallas, but then there's also some friends down by Houston and stuff, so depending on how time goes, uh may swing down there, and, and I'm going to try and meet up with Mr. Hora himself, Bob Pastorella. That would be very, very cool, and I would be somewhat envious of that. But I also have plans along the way to swing through Kansas City and hang out with the KC crew, Brandon Teets. Gordon Highland, Caleb Ross. What do you think of that? Um, I, I, I very cool. But that's not all, Livius. Oh, oh, there's more. But wait, there's more. So the release date for the last projector is October 31st, Halloween mm -hmm. Day. Um, I'll be in Dallas at that time, but I will be swinging back up through Kentucky on my way back to Illinois. 
um, a few days later, and I'm going to swing through uh, Louisville, the Louisville area, and uh, try and meet up with David James Keaton and possibly his lovely bride, Amy James Keaton. Oh, I'm in a little bit of envy. It's a whirlwind tour of uh, people that just happen to write books uh, in towns that I'm going to. Yeah, that's very cool. It's way too much driving for me, though. It's very cool in theory. It's under 2,000 miles. Is you're going to be in your car for like 50 hours driving and ugh. I got to get like a, an audio book or something. Audio booked. That wraps it up for this throwback five-star episode of Booked. Until <laughs> next time, I'm Livia Sin. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.